if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles um, and chapter 29. We'll be there in just a few moments. We are in a series called Alive, 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 Living Out Your Purpose, Alive. And um, we need to know that we are alive. You are dead. <laughs> you, are, you are dead to the world. You are dead to your flesh, but you are alive to Christ. Amen. You are alive to Christ. Some of you don't look alive this morning. That's all right. I think I said that last week. I used to have this, I used to have a drill sergeant that always said, look alive. I said, it's four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) I don't feel alive. (laughs) And then he threatened me and then I looked alive. Um. But God would say to you this morning that you are alive. You are alive. I know everything. I know gas prices are high. I know it. I know it just like you know it. Come on. I know the economy is crazy. I know people fighting over Roe versus Wade. You know, I understand Ukraine. I know a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on. Those are the things that we can see. Can you imagine all the things that are going on in the world that we can't see, right? In villages in the Philippines in places in Africa and in South America. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. But in the midst of all of it, you are alive for such a time as this. You are alive. You have been called by God. You are kings and priests. And you are called by God for such a time as this. Not only to represent him, not only to clap and sing a few songs, but to go into the enemy's camp. And take back what he stole from you. And it's not just your possessions. I'm talking about souls. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about bringing back people to the kingdom of God. You are alive for such a time as this. What do I mean when I say alive? My definition of alive is simply this. It means that you are what? Full of life. You are full of activity. You're you're full of motion full of energy, even if your physical body doesn't feel like you have a lot of energy. Come on. Your spirit, you have a lot of energy. And some of us need to be revived. What do I mean when I say revived? I mean that when you're revived, that that means to live again. Come on, somebody. To come to life, to come up out of the ashes, Uh, you know, to, to be restored from a state of apathy or depression to a full and energetic life. We're having a a mental health summit here in September, right? Because we know, as I keep saying, that God cares about your mental health. And we're having a mental health summit. And one of the big mantras when you talk about mental health over the last number of years has been, it's okay not to be okay. I agree with that statement 100%. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Jesus didn't come to condemn, but he came to save. So it's not about condemnation, right? And it's okay not to be okay. My thing that I want to add on to that is, it's just not okay to stay not okay because God wants to get you to a place. Amen. He wants you to keep moving and you are alive. Sometimes we stay in that place of not being okay because we don't have the revelation that we are alive. You are alive. I know that there are things around you that would cause you to look down and be depressed, but God would say to you this morning that you are 
alive. And this morning, uh, for a few more moments, I want to talk to you about God calling out to God to revive our worship. To revive our worship. It's important, right? Worship is not a, a sideline item. It's not something we do. Oh, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and worship a little bit. I got my little worship in, and so now I can get on with my week and do all the important stuff. No, worship is a way of life. In fact, worship isn't something that you do. It's all of a sudden now going to become some, uh, it's going to become who you are. I am a worshiper. It's, it's who you are. It's going to be part of your DNA, right? Worship literally means to bow down in a position of submission. In other words, here's really what worship is. It's an acknowledgement of who God is. That's what you're doing when you worship. You acknowledge who God is. I see you, God, like Isaiah said. High and lifted up in the train of your robe fills the temple. You are the almighty God. You're not somewhere out there in the universe. The universe is in you. You are the almighty God who stopped the waves. Come on. And you told the Red Sea to go up and split and let my people go through. You are the God that stopped time. You are the almighty God that did all of that and you saved me, by the way. You are the almighty and you acknowledge who he is. That's really what worship is. And so often we pray. We, we had a series not too long ago, remember, where we talked about developing a life of prayer, if you were here. And one of the things that we talked about that I want to reemphasize from that series is that when you pray, yes, Paul said to make your request be made known unto God, right? And with supplications and prayers, with thanksgiving. Yes, we are to make our requests be made known to him, but we forget about the part where we acknowledge who he is. We come before God and we acknowledge who he is because it's about relationship with him. It's about relationship. Psalm 29, 2 says, Give unto the Lord the glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 45, 11, so the king will greatly desire your beauty. Why? Because uh, he is your Lord. Worship him. Who he is. Worship him. Psalm 96, 9, oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Listen, when we pray, we have to acknowledge who he is. We're not praying to an unknown God. We're not praying just to pray and say some words. We're praying because we have the name of Jesus and because the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and because the God that we're praying to, we know we have his DNA. If God is for you, who can be against you? Who can be against you? This is why we must worship. In the Old Testament, there were, there were 19 kings uh, of Judah but only eight of those kings responded to the call of God to worship. And I just want to focus in for a few minutes on one of those kings, one that you may know. It was Hezekiah, and he was the great-great-grandfather of Zephaniah, who was a prophet. Zephaniah, or Hezekiah's name actually means the Lord has strengthened. Not the Lord is going to strengthen you. But the Lord has strengthened. The Lord has strengthened. And I believe someone needs to hear that for themselves this morning. 
I know that was Hezekiah's name, but God is speaking that to you this morning. I have strengthened you because I've given you my Holy Spirit. You might feel weak, but I've already strengthened you. You have everything you need. You have my Holy Spirit and you have the name of Jesus. You have everything you need. You may not realize it because the devil is tricking you into thinking that you're not enough. He's tricking you into thinking that you need something more or that you need to tarry a little while longer or that you need to spend more time at the altar just to get the strength of God. And God is saying, no, spend more time at the altar because you love me, not because you need more strength. Spend more time at the altar because you have strength, because I've given you everything that you need. Second Chronicles Chapter 29, verse 25 starts this way. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and you may have a different version, but we'll get to the same place together. The Bible says, and he stationed the Levites, talking about Hezekiah, in the house of the Lord with cymbals and stringed instruments with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet. Amen. It says, for thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Come on, forth. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offerings on the altar. And when the burnt offerings began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel, so all the assembly worshiped, the singers sang. And the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. It all continued until the burnt offering was finished. When I look at Hezekiah, one of the things I noticed is that Hezekiah did several things here. He opened up the house of God. He opened the doors to the house of God. He repaired the house of God. He fixed some things up. He cleaned the house of God of all the trash and rubbish. He restored the Levites, as we see, to the house of God. And he restored true worship to the house of God. Now, can I tell you something? Paul came in the New Testament and said this, if I can use my old King James. Know ye not that you are, ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Do you not know that you are the temple of of the Holy Spirit. So as we look at Hezekiah and see all the things he did, now all of a sudden we need to look and say, wait a minute, I am the house of God. So I need to open the doors to the house of God. Some of us need to repair this house of God. Some of us, it might hurt a little bit, but some of us need to clean the house of God. Come on. What are you putting into this house? Come on, I watch HBO Max every once in a while too. What you putting into this house, Michael? Some of us need to clean the house of God. Some of us need to restore the Levites. That's where I'm going to land for a few moments. We need to restore the Levites to the house of God. We need to restore true worship to the house of God. To the house of God. Not just in here. You can't just come in here and say, I'm waiting for Pastor Dietra to sing my favorite song. I'm waiting for Sister Carla to play that particular chord that'll get me going. You don't know what you might get when you come in here. Sometimes we gospel. Sometimes we country. You don't know what you might get. We CCM, Little Rock. We might be folk. 
old school, new school. You don't know what happened when we come in here. But you can't wait for somebody else. You got to come in restored. You got to come in with true worship. You got to come in with these Levites restored in this house of God. Come on. Do you not know who you are? I'm going to tell you who you are because <laughs> God wants you to know who you are. You are the New Testament priesthood. You are the New Testament priesthood. Pastor Mike is not the Levite and you're all of the subjects, all of God's people. No, no, no. You are the New Testament priesthood. You are the New Testament priesthood. Psalm 141.2 says, may you accept my prayer like incense. Be uplifted, uh, my uplifted hands in the evening and my evening offering. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. It's not up to the Levites anymore to lift up hands. It's up to you to lift up your hands and say, I surrender. It's up to you. 1 Peter 2.9, in case you forgot, says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. But you, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. That is you here today. I know sometimes you don't feel like it because people getting you down and, and people getting on your nerves and, and, and the economy and what you see on TV and all of these other things around you. I know you don't feel like it even because you look in the mirror and you say, I, I messed up three times yesterday. But that don't change the fact that you are a royal priesthood. I just want to tell you, start acting like it. That's all. That's all. You are a royal priesthood. Just start acting like it. Just start acting like it. Revelation 1, 5, and 6 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests. To his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He has made you kings and priests. And so how do we respond to that? Hezekiah responded, how do we respond? We have to receive, folks, our priestly responsibility. I'm telling you, we need to take our position as a New Testament priest. Take your position. In verse 25, we just read Hezekiah stationed the leaders. The Levites took their position. The priests took their position. God is waiting on some people, come on, to take your position. Because God is looking out and he sees you sitting there. He sees you sitting on the couch. He sees you praying. He sees you crying. He sees you weeping. And he's saying, I, I see you and I've responded to that. I've given you everything that you need. Now get up, get up, get up. Get up out of that grave. Come on. God is telling you, get up. Get up. Get up. Take your position as a New Testament priest. Your place as a New Testament priest is prepared to offer special spiritual sacrifices. What's your job? Prepare your heart. Prepare your spirit. Prepare your sacrifice. What is that? It includes your attitude. Come on. Your place as a New Testament priest is to see your priestly worship as something that is royal. Your worship is royal, folks. 
Your worship is superior. Come on. Your worship is of royal quality and royal dignity. God loves your worship. It's special. Don't you let anyone tell you it's not. Take your position as a New Testament priest. Give your praise as a New Testament priest. I just want to give you four reasons and four, four things that happens, four reasons for taking up your, your mantle as this New Testament priest and what it does. Why is it so important to have priestly worship, not just somebody watching Brother James worship, watching Brother Al, Sister Carrie. I saw her with the flag, and that was really good. I, I, I clapped for her. God is saying, it's good. Give the Lord praise for Sister Carrie. What you doing? What you doing? Come on, what you doing? Complaining? Complaining about your finances? Complaining about being sick? Complaining about your relationship with your spouse? Complaining? God says, stop complaining. Get up out of that grave. You change the situation. I remember reading, I remember reading when Jesus was preaching to the people and, and, there, and there were thousands of people. He and the disciples were there. And, and, and I read and, and I, I imagine the situation. He was preaching all day. And so Jesus must have been tired, but maybe he didn't realize it because he was the one preaching and just giving out. And I imagine his disciples, one of them came up to him and said, listen, listen, Jesus, listen. Uh, you know, this is, boy, this is good. This is good. What's going on today? This, woo, you are preaching. You're preaching, Jesus. But listen. Uh, the people, the people are hungry. I think we should just give them a little break because we're far away from the towns, okay? And, and we're far away. Chick-fil-A, Sunday, Chick-fil-A ain't even open. Uh, and Subway's a long way away, all right? And so uh, we need to give them a break so they can go get something to eat. You know what Jesus' response was? Y'all know. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. This is what God is telling us this morning. And, and one of the things that you notice is uh, they brought, they brought the, the loaves and the bread to Jesus. This is all we got. What are we going to do? They took it to Jesus. Jesus blessed it, and he gave it back to them. He didn't multiply it then. He gave it back to them. Only when they started giving out was it multiplied. Only when they got up, got up, got up, and started giving out was it multiplied. See, it ain't going to be multiplied while you're sitting there looking, waiting for somebody to do something. Come on, God. Do it, God. Do it, Lord. You did it once. Do it again. Go, God. Do it. I'm watching. Go. God's saying, go. You do it. Get up. Get up. Number one, priestly worship establishes a route between the invisible and the visible. I'm talking about priestly worship. So you said, well, I came to worship God and I really didn't see anything happen. Well, maybe you need to check yourself. Was it priestly worship or were you just there that Sunday morning to check it off your list? I went to church. Or was it priestly worship? Remember, we just talked about a priestly worship is when you come to God and, and, and you acknowledge who he is. Remember, it's like a bowing down and it's an acknowledgement of who he is. With nothing else. That's why very often, and we'll do it today. I'll just tell you, ain't no secret. That very often, we, when I have an altar call, when I pray, I, one of the things I, I ask and require actually for you to do is to just take a moment and, and put everything aside and just focus on God. See, God, you, you, can't, you can't ask God to move in your life when you focused on everything else. 
God wants your attention. Because ain't no problem for him to move mountains. See, our year of moving mountains. Hey, that's, not, that's not the issue. God said, I move mountains. That's nothing. I created mountains. I can move. I created Satan. I want you. You look at me. You look at me. You know how you do your kids. I said that before. You know how you do your kids. Look at me. Had to tell Jaden this week. Jaden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Uncle Michael. Jaden, I know you're playing Xbox, but I need you. Okay, Uncle Michael. Hey, hey, look at me. That's what God is saying to some of us. Look at me. Look at me. Stop looking at your circumstances. And priestly worship, it establishes that route between the invisible and the visible. And it's encouraging God to invade the scene of our praise. Come on. Psalm 22.3 says, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. God loves it when we praise. It's just, that's, just not, that's just not a fancy saying or some church vernacular cliche that God inhabits the praises of his people. He says that because it's true. He inhabits your praise. All of these sayings have just become so cliche. But guess what? It doesn't make him any less true when the praises go up. Come on. When the praises go up. I know it's cliche-ish. Doesn't make it any less true. That's what God wants from you. That's what he wants from you. Number two, priestly worship establishes an atmosphere that expands the possibilities of preaching. It expands the possibilities of uh, an atmosphere of responding to God. It, it expands uh, that, that atmosphere uh, where God can move and miracles can happen. See, I've heard so often over the years that it's just not like it used to be. Where are the signs and wonders? My wife and I have talked several times over the years about signs and wonders and where, where are the signs and wonders. And it seems like, you know, when we grew up in church, there would be times when I'd go to church and I'd, I'd see people healed. And I've been overseas and, you know, seen different things happen. People get up out of a wheelchair and, uh, you know, who never walked and were able to walk. And, all, and God, where are all the signs and wonders? And you know what? God is saying, yeah, where are all the signs and wonders where's your priestly worship signs and wonders are here all I need from you is some priestly worship that's all I need from you I need your heart if I got your heart I got you if I got your heart I got you over in Nehemiah says and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people and when he opened it all the people stood up and Ezra blessed the Lord the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. That has to be our response from the heart. From the heart. That has to be our response. Forget about everything else. Everything else, lay it aside. If my people who are called by my name, you know it, I know it, come on, will humble themselves, come on, pray, seek my face, Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from where I am in heaven and I will heal their, that's a promise, folks. I will heal their land. Priestly worship builds a bridge for God's presence to touch the unsaved and the unchurched. We heard great testimony this morning about touching the unsaved and the unchurched. Folks, that has to be a priority for us. Not coming to church and having a good time. We should do that. 
But I'm telling you, our priority has to change. And I'm looking at myself. I'm looking right here in the mirror. I got myself. Michael, you on Front Street right now. You preaching and you preaching to yourself. The unsaved and the unchurched has to be our priority. It has to be our priority. Because it's kingdom business. But seek ye first. First, first, uno. Number one. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. See, we, we worried about all the things getting added unto us. But we're not seeking first. We're not seeking first. Come on. That's what it does. It's a bridge built by believers making room for God to move in and saturate the soul with his goodness. It's people opening up to the overflow of God's love, drawn by the Holy Spirit with the spirit of worship. God's calling us in. And then lastly, priestly worship is the giving of my personal song of praise to God by the lifting up of my hands. Come on, and the singing. Pastor Dietrich is trying to get us this morning. You open your mouth. I know some of you are not good. You don't want to hear me sing. That's why I don't have a mic back there when it's time to sing. I'll sing. I'll just sing to myself. I'll sing to the Lord. But I know some of you might not have the voice that uh, some other people have. Jessica can sing real well. We should have we should have played a little song, had her sing, but maybe next time, Jessica. No. Uh, but I, I know some of you don't have the voice, but listen, sing your song unto the Lord. Sing your song unto the Lord. Sing your song unto the Lord. It's the giving of my personal song to God. And not only singing my song, and a lot of people resist this. I don't want to, I, I could get into this as a whole nother message, but I won't. A lot of people resist this, the lifting up of your hands. And people resist it because they feel like the pastor's up there or this preacher's up there telling me, lift my hands. He can't tell me what to do. I worship the way I want to worship. That's true. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just telling you what the Bible says to do. The Bible says, I'm not the one telling you to lift your hands. I mean, your hands look just like my hands. But you know what the lifting of your hands does? You want to know the reason why the Bible talks about that? Think about it. Think about it. It is, what happens when, when, you're watching, when you're watching a show on TV and somebody's, you know, in, in the house there and, they, and they're stealing something, but then all of a sudden the police come and they bust in and say, hold it. That's the first thing they do. Don't shoot. I give up. I surrender. It's, it's, it's an acknowledgement of surrender. I surrender to you, God. I surrender. All I have is yours. All I am is yours. That's all it is. That's all it is. So the next time you get an inkling to lift your hands, don't let the devil stop you from doing it. Don't let the devil stop you from doing it. I'm not telling you you have to lift your hands in order to get in heaven, okay? But I'm telling you, lifting of your hands is just another way. It's like singing your song. It's a part of worship, and it's what God wants us to do. Amen. Psalm 43, 40, verse 3 says, He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear the Lord and will trust in the Lord because of the song that he has in your mouth. The Bible says in Psalm 96, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks 
to his name. I could go on one more. Hebrews 13, 15. Let's take our place outside with Jesus. This is a message version. It says no longer pouring out the sacrificial blood of animals, but pouring out sacrificial praise from our lips to God in Jesus' name. What is God trying to tell us here this morning? He's trying to tell you that I want to revive your worship because I am not the God of a dead people. Jesus said, I'm not the God of the dead, but I am the God of the living. You want the world to change, let God change you, and then you change the world. You give them something to eat. The world is hungry. The world is hungry even if they don't know it. And we want to pray and say, Lord, go do it. And that's the right thing to do. But God is responding to us by saying, thank you for praying. I did my part. Now you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Say, I will. Say, I will. Give them something to eat. Say, I will. Give them something to eat. See, it's not just on the pastor. It's not just on the pastor. It's not just on bishop or cardinal or seraphim or whoever, whatever people call themselves these days. Another story. But it's not just, it's on all of you. Are, you are the New Testament priesthood, folks. It's about you. The first thing we need to do is get our worship together. We need to get our worship together. And I'm talking about far more than just coming to church on Sunday morning and singing with the worship team. I'm talking about being worshipers. Abraham, when he was going to sacrifice his son, he said, stay here with the, with the donkeys. Me and the boy are going up to worship. He wasn't going up to sing no songs. He was about to kill his son. He had no guitar. He had a knife. Worship is about obedience to God. We need to get our worship together, folks. We need to get our worship together.